How do you successfully create a new B2B market category? This is the question that many founders ask themselves, but it's a very niche topic and there's just not a lot of content out there from people who've truly taken a shot at creating a new market category. So that's why we've created this show. So at G2, we have over 2,100 different software categories now. As I mentioned, when we started 10 years ago, we only had one, which was CRM software. What we're doing at Timescale is we're redefining the database category. Montecarlo is pioneering a category called data observability. The subcategory interview intelligence is new. We are the leader. There's a lot of category creators that are no longer with us. Uh, they're in the, the great category graveyard somewhere. In each episode, we'll learn the backstory behind the B2B founders' category creation efforts. We'll learn what worked, what didn't, and tactical insights for how you can build a winning category strategy. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now, let's jump in to today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ryan Austin, CEO and founder of Cognota, a learning ops platform that's raised over $7 million in funding. Ryan, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for your time. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. I'm, I kind of always been a bit of an entrepreneur, you know, one of those typical stories of starting whatever, you know, business as a kid as you could from window washing with neighbors to car detailing or whatnot, but starting university door room. And then from there, did a couple of other things, whether it was building sales teams for other companies, building a company called Go Fish Cam with my brother that we sold in 2019 to building a consulting company, which eventually led me to uh, coming across the problem that my company Cognota solves, A, which is where I focus my full-time effort. And was there a pattern across all of those different businesses that you've started, or does it just really depend on the opportunity? I think it depends on the opportunity. Although with Cognota, I've been playing in the corporate learning and development space now for about 14, 15 years, sort of fell into it by mistake. And that really like the work in this field, it's very mission driven. So it's really uh, rewarding work to do. And a couple of questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one, what founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? I don't know if you've read the book Shoe Dog, but Jill Knight is really interesting. I'm a big believer of persistence, of being persistent as a founder and in Phil's story, you know, there's definitely a lot of times where persistency is what saved the business and took it as far as it did. And uh, also just being creative, thinking outside the box with different go-to-market campaigns or, or strategies that really helped set Nike apart. So really appreciated that, you know, his story and, and the work that's been done there. Nice. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that book. And I just watched that new movie they made about him, or I guess it's about Michael Jordan's story. I think it was called Air. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, ama amazing movie. I just watched it with my wife as well. Yeah, it's so good. I feel like that's like probably my new favorite entrepreneur movie now. Yeah, me too. Nice. Well, let's switch gears and let's dive a bit deeper into the company. So we like to think about this part of the show as, you know, the elevator pitch or the high level overview of what you guys do. So let's start there. What's the high level overview? Yeah, so high-level overview is that we're creating the LearnOps category. So think of DevOps or RevOps and other business functions. And 
You know, there's been big B2B software companies that were born during those eras of those categories being formed. GitLabs for DevOps, for example, or Salesforce or HubSpot with RevOps. And these corporate learning and development functions, they've never had a purpose-built operating system to help them prioritize work, budget, align their learning projects to corporate objectives, and measure ROI. And what's really interesting is that the corporate learning and development market spends $320 billion a year. It's about $80 billion more than marketing teams spend on advertising. And there's just no system or way to connect the dots to see where is all this money going to, what's the impact that the training has on the organization, et cetera. And so essentially we created the first purpose-built operating system for corporate learning and development teams. And we're building a, a bit of a community behind the thought leadership of learning operations and just launched the first LearnOps community for the industry as well. And why do you think L&D professionals have been so underserved and you know no one's building purpose-built tools for them? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think for a long time, the group was looked at as a cost center instead of strategic to the business. And naturally, when you're spending that much money, it is strategic to the business. And that's really where my bet was a long time ago, that there'd be tailwinds where L&D becomes more strategic to the business and they're more focused on where the money's being spent and what it means for the organization. And so we were ahead of the market in that regard. And it kind of reminded me of like marketing teams back in the day, they're spending all this money. CFOs would have heartburn over like, where's all this money going? You know, there's no way to see it. The CMO or the VP of marketing would say, you know, it's a long-term investment. The return comes afterwards. But nowadays you have like return of ad spend. You have systems to track where money's going, where work's being done. And so that's really what we're building for corporate L&D teams to give them a seat at the table, to level up and to be able to run their business function more like a, an operation in a business that's data-driven, you know, efficient and automated workflows and just overall being able to level up and be consistent with other business functions and corporations. And being able to predict the future is something that I think every founder wants to do. What did you see then back in, I think I saw you guys launched in February 2019. What trends or what data did you see that you know, gave you that belief that this was going to be a big shift and the L&D teams were going to start to be prioritized? So prior to 2019, which is when we really became a software company, I had a, a corporate learning and development consulting company. So it was a services business where I just partnered with these corporations, their learning and development teams to help them out from a consulting perspective. And I guess like having the angle as a lean entrepreneur and always looking to do things efficiently and iteratively, I just couldn't believe how these teams were operating and how they were thinking about things. And again, it reminded me of the whole transition within marketing. And so I started talking about it at first and partnering with chief learning officers, heads of learning and development, analysts, just talking about it. And, you know, everybody essentially said that it's badly needed, but the industry has been in this legacy operating mode for 20 years. And just, you know, being a tech guy, seeing other businesses go through those tailwinds and transform. Like a long time ago, software development teams used to report into IT. Like that makes no sense nowadays, right? And 
They used to be more waterfall-driven versus agile. And so just seeing these trends in these other business functions and what was happening in L&D, that's where I saw the opportunity and decided to invest time and money into creating the LearnOps category. And more and more, I'm hearing about entrepreneurs and founders who go from a services business to a software business. And they say that, you know, by being in the services business, they're able to really develop a deep understanding of the problems that exist in the industry, deeply understand the market, the customers, et cetera. But I think making that shift from a services business to a venture-backed technology company, that's really hard. And I think that's something that founders struggle with. What have been some of those challenges that you experienced as you made that transition? And what have you learned along the way? Yeah. So, you know, it's not the easier path by any means whatsoever. It takes a lot more patience. And a lot of the times, especially first-time entrepreneurs, they still need to learn that uh, building a company takes time and to become successful, it takes a lot longer than you'd ever anticipate, unless you get lucky along the way or, or hit a major trend. And, you know, there's those rare cases. So on my side, like when I saw the opportunity and you know, I was in tech before doing the consulting company. I was just consulting company was a little bit of a transition until I figured out what I wanted to do next. But you have to be disciplined. It's very easy to try and continue to be a consulting or service company while building the tech because of the cash flow. You know, services businesses are hard to build, but they're not great businesses that from a multiplier perspective, you know, but cash wise, they could be really attractive. So when I decided to start moving into software, I cut the service business off cold turkey and I was doing like $2 million a year on the service business. But I just knew that you have to be really disciplined to build a successful product company. And I gave myself that commitment that if I do it, that you don't do both. And uh, I cut off the service business kind of cold turkey and started focusing on the software business and built it feature by feature until we, you know, got to an interesting place, was able to raise a seed round of capital and, and build the company to the next stage with some venture partners. Wow. That's amazing. Now I want to dive a bit deeper into your category strategy and your category creation efforts. So where did you first learn about category design? Because I, I think a lot of founders talk about this idea, but it seems like you've really built out a strategy and you executed on it or you're executing on it as we speak. So where did you first learn about the discipline of category design? So I think it came down first, uh, just really understanding that all of our incumbents were status quo. So in our case, IT tools that L&D can get their hands on from IT but are not purpose-built for them and need a lot of customization and there's a lot of headaches and pains around it. It was hard to believe, like, you know, that was one of the biggest challenges was people not knowing that this type of technology exists and then validating from the market that this is brand new. You know, it sometimes people say that they're doing something in the world for the first time, but, you know, really like they have happy years or there's other things, they're just not looking deep enough. But in our case, like there was nothing. And th that's when we knew we, we had to give it a name. At first, we called it a learning design system, and we were totally wrong about that. And over time, as we got smarter by talking to the market about the problems we solve and whatnot, we just kept hearing learning operations, learning operations, learning operations. That's kind of when we coined the phrase learn ops, because 
it was easy to educate with people given that other uh, business functions have DevOps and RevOps or marketing ops or HR ops. And just nobody was talking about learn ops. And because of how early we were, we were able to do some interesting things around IP portfolio, trademark, partnership, buying the learnops.com domain. And naturally, over time, we were able to just follow a couple of playbooks from those other areas like RevOps or marketing ops or whatnot and see what has made some of those industries successful and learning what would make our go-to-market strategy successful from a category creation perspective. There are some, some books out there like Play Bigger and whatnot from Christopher Lockhead. You know, and those were good to read. They gave you some ideas here and there, but just following like what HubSpot had done from a category creation perspective with marketing ops, that was really helpful as well. I think you guys have just nailed it with the category name. It's crystal clear, you know, what the category is all about. A lot of times I just see companies out there or even founders that come on where they have this category and it'll be like, you know, four words long and it just doesn't make any sense. Like it's not crystal clear what it does when you read it. And I think that's very difficult. So I love the approach you guys have taken and you've just really nailed it. No, I appreciate it. It took two years to really figure out like, what do we call this to the point where it was really hard to get to a point of having that clarity where we just knew how to position this in the market. It took a lot of conversations a lot of scar tissue, a lot of failure to figure it out. And uh, we're really happy with where things have landed. And one of the things that a lot of people talk about with category creation is, you know, you need competitors. You can't be a category of one. But I think that's, you know, sometimes scary for founders where it's, you know, okay, we're going to create this category. Then we have to go and, you know, conspire with our competitors and all work together to build this category up. Is that something that you're doing yet? Are you working with competitors and collaborating with them? So I think you... In our case, we're creating competitors. So corporate learning and development is a very saturated, fragmented market in ecosystems downstream to where Cognota sits. For example, the learning management system market or content creation tools, et cetera. In just knowing the market really well, we've seen other category winners. For example, Degreed, who started the learning experience category we saw where they took that approach and just all these smaller technology providers who were in that learning management system space or whatever, they just started calling themselves an LXP, which is, you know, the kind of the term that Degreed created. And it just created massive market confusion. Like what's an LXP and is it an LXP and LMS? And that was really unfortunate to kind of watch from behind the scenes, not just for a degree, but particularly because if the category was kept clearer, the mission behind what degree or true LXP companies were doing would have benefited and helped the industry much more. So all these kind of incumbents who are just trying to find their next deal and using that as a buzzword rather than positioning the category properly really ruined a, an amazing opportunity to drive the industry further faster. So in our case, we learned from that and we actually trademarked LearnOps, not because we want to go at it alone, but because for the next three to five years, call it, we don't want LearnOps to become another buzzword. We want it 
to be something that purpose built and purpose driven for the industry to progress the industry from actually solving operational challenges is badly needed. And so what we're doing is we're licensing the trademark for free to channel partners who will use it in a trusted way. And in some cases, these channel partners become resellers of our technology where we do rev share models. So in some regard, we're creating competition for ourselves in, in that way. At some point, you know, once we've done that job of the world knowing that this category exists and and how the category helps the industry and how, you know, where we de-risk the market confusion perspective, then we'll just make the trademark open source and free for all. But we think that it's too mission driven to do that right now. And we're being patient and in it for the long game in order to to do what's right for the industry, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense and super, super smart approach. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. I want to also ask you about the LearnOps Leadership Series. So I was playing around on the site a couple of days ago to prepare for this interview and, and came across that and think that's very well put together. So could you just maybe talk us through what that series is all about and the impact it's had on the category creation efforts? Yeah, so, you know, learning operations is not sexy per se. <laughs> Although, you know, if you don't have effective or efficient operations, there's an argument that you're just not running your business function effectively either or efficiently. So one of our goals is to build more awareness around learning operations and to get the industry to talk about it more because of the importance of, you know, your operations is your backbone or your infrastructure of being successful as a business function. So it's a podcast where we interview learning and development leaders, learning officers, analysts, thought leaders, where we focus on talking about learning operations as a whole. And, you know, that's expanded since we've started that into also now, in addition to having a podcast on LearnOps, we're creating a lot more content. We just launched a community of practice that's open to any L&D leader in the industry, free to join on LearnOps.com. And just more and more thought leadership initiatives coming to fruition since doing that. And how do you think about ROI when it comes to these types of activities like a podcast or starting a community? I think a lot of companies want to do these things, but the question always comes up, okay, cool. You know, what's the ROI? How is this going to make us money? All of those types of questions. So what's your mindset when it comes to investing and deploying in tactics and strategies like these? So I just think it depends on what you're doing and what the right go-to-market strategy is for the company. Starting a podcast, starting a community, you know, making product decisions like freemium or free trial, all of these things take time and it's about planting the seeds and then iterating over time. But the way I always think about these types of investments is that you have to give it at least one year to see if it's going to be successful or not. Even if you think about inbound marketing or content marketing, 
you can't just do content marketing or inbound marketing successfully. You have to build blogs. You have to write a lot. You have to rank your SEO. That's going to take time. And it usually takes about a year to get it to a point where you're getting enough traffic that it starts paying for the work you've done. So whenever you're doing any initiative like a podcast or a community or something else, you just have to give it at least that 12 months of time for these things to come to fruition to see the impact. And at some point, you have to make a decision, is this successful or not? And obviously measure things along the way to make those decisions earlier if it's just not working. Makes a lot of sense. No, I think there's a lot of talk about the benefits of category creation. What are some of the trade-offs or what are some of those challenges that you guys have experienced? Education. So creating a category is cool, but a lot of the times you're creating a category and at the beginning, nobody really knows that this exists out there. So it it takes time and that's a trade-off. I mean, I'm sure we could have positioned LearnOps to be something else that exists out there and then competed for keywords and competed with people or tried to go after a customer base of a competitor or something like that to get to revenue faster and maybe even faster growth. But we looked at it as an opportunity to be first, understood the trade-offs of educating an entire market. And it's going to take a lot longer and probably more money up front to get there. But we think the rewards for Cognota will be much more fruitful downstream if we're patient. And also for the industry, the impact we can have on the industry will be bigger by you know, positioning this around category creation. And that's the decision that we decided to make when, when we went for it. And it seems like you're very good at playing the long-term game and thinking big picture. Have you always been that way? Have you always been that type of entrepreneur? Or is that a skill that you had to really like develop and nurture over time? Yeah, definitely a skill that I had to develop and nurture over time. And it came with a lot of mistakes along the way where you kind of get beat up as an entrepreneur, especially in your early days when you're learning. And you kind of get beat up along the way to be more patient about things. I mean, thinking back to that company I mentioned I built in my dorm room, my first tech company, that company failed. In hindsight, not because it wasn't a great company or a great idea. I mean, I launched it and it made 10 grand in its first week of launch, but I was in such a rush to become successful that I I was under the thinking that this isn't going fast enough. It's not going to be big fast enough. And I I gave up on it in a way. So I, I was my own worst enemy where I probably would have been a lot further in life if I was just patient. And I nurtured that company properly and grew it properly. But instead, I was in a rush to be successful. I thought I knew Beth and whatnot. And in hindsight, you know, it was more expensive and it took longer because I was trying to rush. And so I've learned to be a little more patient in business and just understand that these things take time. And when you see lists of companies that have sold or have had big outcomes and you look at how long those companies were operated or how long those CEOs ran the companies, a lot of the time it's over 10 years and, you know, sometimes even 15, 20 years. And that just really resonated with me that to be successful and to build something that's great, that could change an industry and help a lot of people along the way, it takes time and it's best to stay on course and stay focused and 
dream big and execute big, but know that it's just going to take time. Yeah, that's something I think that anyone who was a young entrepreneur, you know, myself included, I can really relate to that. You know, my early businesses in my early 20s, I just had no patience at all. And that, you know, cost me. And yeah, the companies failed, I think, because of that. And that has to be the case, I think, with most young entrepreneurs. I think it's very, very difficult to have patience when you're, you know, 20 years old or 19 years old. You just, that's not a real, real trait that people have at that age. Yeah, it's true. It's something that I, I hope I can teach my son if he decides to be entrepreneurial. But it's probably one of like my biggest life lessons learned is where I think I could have probably saved five to eight years of time in my entrepreneurial journey if I just learned that lesson earlier. Would there be any other big lessons that stand out that you wish you had known? How to tell stories. I think that's really important as an entrepreneur. Just, you know, in general, in life, people resonate with stories. Like we grow up listening to stories. You know, my kid right now, you know, two years old, wants books every night before he goes to bed. So, so you learn about storytelling really early. And I think entrepreneurs sometimes get caught in the weeds. And sometimes it's even hard for them to do their two-sentence elevator pitch where people just don't understand what it is that they're doing. And I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to really learn how to storytell and take that approach where, you know, uh, maybe uh, somebody in grade five understands what, what you're building or what you're working on, like that crystal clear, and then take that concept and apply it to everything you do. Managing people, raising money, doing customer pitches, like telling great stories is so powerful. And I think uh, a really important skill that people should adapt. Are there any books that you've read that have been influential in that journey to master storytelling? I uh, love Tell to Win. Peter Druder, who, uh, you know, was an entrepreneur who I think he owned a company called Mandalay Entertainment in the film business. And that's one of my favorite books. I recommend that to like every salesperson, every entrepreneur. It just really resonates on how to tell stories because the book's written in a way where Peter's telling stories the whole way while teaching you how to tell stories, giving you like real examples on how he won in business because of storytelling. Amazing. I'll have to check that out. I've not heard of that book, but I, I love storytelling and I read a lot of books about it. So adding that to cart now. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Highly recommended. Nice. Now, can you talk to us a little bit about growth, traction, and adoption, and any metrics that you're okay with sharing that just demonstrate the success you're seeing today? Yeah, I think for Cognota, the last few years have been really good. You know, we grew over 150% last year. And prior to that, we were really in R&D mode, building the platform. Like nobody's built an end-to-end operating system in our field before. So it took a lot longer than I anticipated, even though I know the rule of Things, you know, can take twice as long and twice as much. And I usually plan around that. In Cognota's case, that was doubled. And again, lots of times where the old Ryan back in the day would have said, just give up. But the more patient, I guess you could say a little more mature entrepreneurial Ryan just kept listening to the market, seeing the positive trends and stuck to it. And, you know, now we're building a really really interesting company because of it. 
it's such a brutal and painful rule that it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much. I feel like even when I factor that in, that's still the case. So I can't get around it no matter what, even when I try to plan for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tough one uh, to follow for sure. Now, final question here, since we're almost up on time, let's zoom out into the future. So maybe three to five years from today, could you just paint a picture for us for what that vision for the company is? Yeah, absolutely. Like very clear vision. You know, this year really focused on building out more workflows in the product, getting it to a place where, you know, we're ready to take what we're executing on in United States and Canada to a more global level. The community's matured. We're starting to do learn ops certification courses across the United States and Canada over the next two years for free, leaving people with our software and then growing that into Europe and other places accordingly, you know, longer term. And what that will do is just have more impact around the scale of technology expansion, community expansion, and just the overall impact we can have on people and our industry as a whole. Amazing. I love it. All right, Ryan, we are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build this company and category, where should they go? I would go to learnops.com if uh, you're in the corporate L&D industry to network with peers and just get support and help around learning operations. If anybody ever has questions about entrepreneurship or category creation, you know, feel free to follow or message me on LinkedIn try to get back to you if I can, um, you know, if it's relevant. And if you're interested in learning more about Cognota or learning operation software, our website's www.cognota.com, C-O-G-N-O-T-A.com. Amazing. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your strategy, talking about what you're building and really the approach here. It's very rare for us to have founders on that have such a clearly articulated category strategy. But it's very clear, you know what you're doing. So I look forward to watching you execute on this vision for the company and the category. Really appreciate time today, Brett. Had a lot of fun. All right, keep in touch.